Here we go. We are talking about law and gospel on this May the 21st in the year of our Lord 2021. It's kind of an open mic Friday, which means I respond to emails or letters that I have received or phone calls I've received. And I'm Tom Baker, pastor, and we're going to be taking a look at a actually a worship service sent to me. This worship service is done by a Lutheran church in Canada, but I can assure you that it is not a church of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's probably a independent church or with the ELCA, because what they're talking about is the resurrection of Mary Magdalene. That's right. Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary was the one who saw Jesus outside of the tomb and did not recognize him, thought he was the gardener, but he ended up becoming, of course, the Christ who had risen from the dead. Now, I don't know where they get these readings from, but they are reading from the Gospel of Mary during the worship service. Here's one of the readings. Then Mary stood up. She greeted the disciples and addressed her brothers. Do not weep and be distressed, nor let your hearts be irresolute, for his grace will be with you all and will shelter you. Rather, we should praise his greatness, for he has joined us together and made us true human beings. So that's her message. It goes on. When Mary said these things, she turned their minds toward the good, and they began to ask about the words of the Savior. Peter said to Mary, Sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than any other woman. Tell us the words of the Savior that you know, by which, but what, which we have not heard. Mary responded, I will report to you as much as I remember that you don't know. And she began to speak these words to them. She said, I saw the master in a vision. And I said to him, Master, I saw you today in a vision. He said to me, Congratulations to you for not wavering at seeing me. For where the mind is, there is the treasure. I said to him, Master, how does a person who sees a vision see it? with the soul or with the spirit? The Savior answered, the vision does not see with the soul or with the spirit, but with the mind, which exists between these two. <coughs> Excuse me. That is what sees the vision. Well, that that's the reading. That's one of them. I'm going to read another one. But... Did Mary see Jesus in a vision? No. She saw him face to face at the tomb. And so we get the opinion here that Jesus hadn't really risen from the dead bodily, but that he just appeared to them in a vision. Now, we know that John in the book of Revelation had a vision and heard Jesus speaking to him and recorded 
like Jesus' message to the seven churches in chapter 2 and 3. But here, we've got Mary talking about a vision. And it's interesting, they say that Jesus loved Mary more than any other woman. Is that true? Is that true that he loved Mary Magdalene more than his mother Mary? Nowhere is that found in the scripture. And of course, when these theologians, so-called, talk about loving Mary, then we get into some real problems with Jesus, as though there was a relationship between the two of them. She says also that, let your hearts be resolute because he has made us true human beings. Well, what does that mean? Even a sinner is a true human being. Jesus was a return to the humanity that we had under Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they fell into sin. This is a problem I hear again and again. People talk about that we should love everyone because we are all made in the image of God. That's incorrect. Adam and Eve, through their sin, lost that image. Unbelievers are not in the image of God until they become a believer. Because the image of God in Genesis is speaking about total holiness and righteousness. And no human being who is a sinner is under that. Therefore, those who are unbelievers as sinners are not part of being a true human being in the sense of being righteous in God's sight. But that occurs when through faith they believe the message of the gospel. That's what happened to Abraham, remember? God came to him and said, well, you and aged Sarah are going to have a baby. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. God kept his promise. And Abraham believed that promise. And the Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. This is what the whole Reformation was about. We are not saved because of our good works. We are saved because God has declared us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. So I was even unaware that there is a gospel of Mary. I don't think there is. Uh, but if, if there is, it's apocrypha, which means it's not true in the Bible. And therefore, we've got to be very careful when we're in a worship service that the worship service is being done properly. Uh, I'll read a second section out of the Gospel of Mary, chapter 10. Andrew says, Brothers and sisters, what is your opinion of what Mary has just said? For one, don't believe that the Savior said these things because these opinions seem to be 
different from his thought. That's what Andrew thinks. After reflecting on these matters, Peter says, has the Savior spoken secretly to a woman and not openly so that we would all hear? Surely he did not wish to indicate that she is more worthy than we are. Then Mary wept and said to Peter, Peter, my brother, what are you imagining about this? Do you think that I have made all this up secretly by myself or that I am telling less about the Savior? Levi said to Peter, Peter, you have a constant inclination to anger and you are always ready to give way to it. And even now you are doing exactly that by questioning the woman as if you're her adversary. If the Savior consider her to be worthy, who are you to disregard her? For he knew her completely and loved her devotedly. Instead, we should be ashamed and once we clothe ourselves with perfect humanity, we should do what we are commanded. We should announce the good news as the Savior ordered and not be laying down any rules or making laws. After he said these things, Levi left and began to announce the good news. Now, why are they reading this? First of all, this is a church whose pastor is a woman. And so the so-called gospel of Mary is being read in a sense to make women really important. In fact, Mary is considered to be almost more worthy than the disciples because Jesus appeared to her in a vision, which of course he did not. There's no doubt that when Jesus appeared to her, that didn't make her a better person than the disciples. She was a sinner like everybody else. But in this reading, you get the opinion that she is really good. And she says, do you think I made up all this secretly by myself or that I'm telling lies about the Savior? Well, whoever wrote the Gospel of Mary, they're the ones who are telling lies. You see, there are a number of books written after the New Testament that some people think should be part of the Bible. Oh, one of them is the Gospel of Thomas. But they say things that are contrary to what Jesus says in the true Bible. And this Gospel of Mary is one of them. The hymns they sing are all about Mary Magdalene, not about Jesus. And so we, we get to a point where you got to be really careful when you're taking a look at a congregation, do they finally really realize who Jesus is? And is that what they are really talking about? So in the bulletin, and I've got the whole thing here, they're having a Bible study, and this is a Zoom 
Bible study, and it's talking about rediscovering Jesus as friend, teacher, savior, Lord, way, and presence. The idea that Mary says that under the gospel, there are no rules or anything, kind of shows the direction this church is going. Obviously, by having a woman pastor, they're already in disagreement with God's word because the Bible is clear that women are not to be pastors any more than men are to have babies. And so freeing Jesus up, you're going to hear things that are just not in the Bible because Jesus still was definitely against various sins. In fact, not just his actions. Read the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you that even if you have a bad thought about someone or say a bad word to them, that is committing the sin against the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. So by thought, word, and deed, Christians continue to sin. And that's why the message of Christianity is really about what? About believing in Jesus Christ, about following his word, about the gospel. Also in the bulletin, you can always tell the direction of a church when they're announcing items. And they have an item, Concerned Citizens Make a Difference. And it's all about affordable housing and food security. Now, I don't have an objection that Christians should be involved in helping people find housing and making sure they are fed. But when the bulletin is filled with those kinds of things, social ministry, then they're not really understanding the message of the gospel. So this kind of fits with yesterday's broadcast, Wes Reimnitz and I talking about the three levels in interpreting the scripture. But here's an email that touches on this. I, I listened to your presentation concerning sermons. I found your ideas very interesting and would like to have a copy of that show. Many what God has done for me sermons, which correctly place all of the actions on God, simply do not challenge my intellect or curiosity. I find them boring, even though I believe them to be theologically correct. Now, I'm going to stop here. That is a great insight. In fact, Martin Luther talked about that in a quote of Martin Luther that Professor Andrew Bartelt had written some time ago in an essay he was writing. And Luther made this point, we're talking about Martin Luther, that there's no doubt that God can work through a pastor who does not know the original Greek and Hebrew. But after a time, 
without the insights from knowing the original languages, the sermons become kind of very similar and boring. They talk about, you're a sinner. He died on the cross for your sins, and therefore you are saved. And this is exactly what this email writer is saying, even though they are theologically correct. At the same time, going back to the email, many what-I-can-do sermons excite and motivate me, but I know that the actions are all on God's part and not dependent on me. Your idea of a what-God-has-done-for-me sermon challenges me to stimulate my interest. It works. I'm stimulated to mentally review the sermon presentation on many times and driven to investigate the validity of the ideas. Every Sunday, I need to hear that I am a sinner, that God loves me, and Christ's death and resurrection paid my debt, and I will have eternal life. But if it is just stated and repeated and repeated, sadly, it loses my interest regardless of my prayers and efforts otherwise. I really enjoy your show. And then it's signed, and the city. Well, what is this person talking about? We've talked about in the last two broadcasts about the various levels in preaching a sermon. Levels one, two, and three. Level one just simply says the meaning of the words that are found in the Bible. Well, no, that's actually part of level two. Level one is just explaining what the words mean. Like, as I said yesterday, if I tell the kids, we need to get a sale today, they don't know if I'm talking about a sale at Target where things are inexpensive or whether we're going on a boat and we need a sail. Both words sound the same, so you have to explain. This is really true in the original Greek and Hebrew of the Bible. And, and therefore, the first thing you need to do is help to explain what is the word. And that isn't sufficient. Uh, a lot of... Uh, kids in Sunday school, and fortunately we have great Sunday school curriculum by Concordia Publishing House that talks about law and gospel, but many other Sunday schools just tell the story to the kids so that you may be talking in John chapter 9, and the kids learn that there was a man born blind since birth. And Jesus heals him, and he loves Jesus. Well, that's not sufficient. What you need to do is go, what is the purpose why God has that in the Bible? And 
That's why just saying Jesus died on the cross, you're a sinner, you're saved, isn't really a sufficient sermon. A lot of people have different ideas of what it means that he died on the cross. Did he die as an example for us that we should suffer for other people? Or did he die in order to give us more laws that we are to follow so that we can be saved? Or did he die because he was our substitute on the cross? Those are three different meanings. Now, the purpose of that broadcast I was talking about was that you need to excite the individual to change their emotions, to work on their emotions. This happens in music all the time, where you're hearing a song, and maybe on the last verse, there's a high pitch, a high note, or a change in the key, because when you change the key of a song, it can either appear to be more dark or it can be really bright, like opening the sun before you. And that's what needs to be done in a sermon. The darkness of the sermon is the preaching of the law. And you can, like in the Sermon on the Mount, make it clear there's nobody sitting in the pews that isn't a sinner that deserves eternal hell. That's dark. And then what you do, you explain how we all sin in the way that that particular text is talking about. So there's many ways in which we sin. We can even outwardly do a good work, but we have a wrong motivation. We may do a good work in order that God will be pleased with us and we will go to heaven. That's a wrong motivation. We do a good work because we love Jesus for what he has done for us. So that's the darkness. Where does the bright light of the sermon come? It comes about when they hear the gospel. When you hear the law, you're kind of hopeless. You have no hope for the future. But when you hear the gospel, that gives you the hope and the comfort. But what is the gospel? The gospel is not just that Jesus died on the cross. It's not even just that he rose from the dead, but that he died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead for your justification. In other words, you talk about the cross in a way that makes a person joyous to realize that even though they're a terrible sinner, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, the gospel frees them from the curse of the law. And therefore, when they're freed from the curse of the law, they are given a wonderful gift of the forgiveness of sins, 
and the robe of righteousness. And why do you explain those? You explain them because they're two different gifts. The gift of the forgiveness of sins, that takes care of actual sins of thought, word, and deed that you have done. But the robe of righteousness, that takes care of those good works that you have not done, that you should have done. And and therefore, it's very important to make that distinction because a lot of people realize, yes, I'm a sinner in not doing what God wants me to do, but I'm also a sinner in doing what he doesn't want me to do. And, And therefore, you need both the forgiveness of sins to take care of actual sins, and you need the robe of righteousness where God dresses you in the robe. When we wear vestments, I still like wearing the surplus and the cassock. And what does that mean? The sack cassock stands for my sin. The surplus covers me. It's the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, it's really important that we end on a high note, just like good music ends a octave higher or maybe a semitone higher. It makes a difference in listening and touches your emotions. Not that your goal is to change the emotions, but God changes the emotions when they hear my sin is truly forgiven, heaven is my home, and it is said in a way that they have never really contemplated before. So I appreciate this email. In fact, we have a whole book of emails that we put together, selected emails to law and gospel. There's 400 of them. And you can email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com and order it. It's $15, but you don't pay until you get the book. Make sure you put your address down. Till Monday, God bless you. Weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.